sitting at a meeting and listening to somebody talk about how, you know, they really want to do branding and get their logo out there and just really be good with branding. And I was just like dying inside and being like, it's not branding. It's one thing to be able to say like, this is who I am, but then being brave enough to actually follow through and consistently put that out there because I've been in that position before where I've said, yes, I just want to motivate and inspire people. But especially in my early days of building my business, I would see someone doing something completely different in a completely different way and tone that wasn't necessarily my natural inclination, but I would see, oh, they're getting all these likes, so I should do what they're doing. We all really are looking for the same thing, that we all respond to the same thing. What that is and how that's structured, we can talk about that all we want, but we can agree on the same goal, which is, I think, pretty simple to do. We can really start to build this a little bit. A lot of people talked about, you know, people just um, picnicking along the, along the Seine and having like cheeses and, and drinks. And like my experience walking along the Seine was it smelling and me being like, can we please get out of here? You are single-handedly redefining the Paris <laughs> brand. Hi, I'm Michelle, an entrepreneur and creative business coach. Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm a social media and digital content strategist. We're friends with a shared passion for creativity in all its forms. Through this podcast, you'll find ideas to help up your game and share experiences with a community of creatives who understand what it's like to work and create in a digital world. If the episode you're about to hear sparks something inside you, share your voice by connecting with us on social media, at pod for creatives on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So maybe it's a little late in the game, but hello, you're back from Europe. Hi. Yes, this is uh, very exciting. We've, we've been starting so many episodes with one of us getting back from somewhere. Yeah, well, have we've you been going that? places. Well, that's we what have. happens when you go somewhere. You have to come back. Yeah, but especially for you, who I don't really consider to be a traveler, even you've been going places this year. I'm going places. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going places. But yeah, not, no, but not anymore. No, I'm I'm kind of hunkered down, knock wood, hopefully. Yeah, I'm here. Um No, but yeah, I have been, you know, we've been traveling. We've been we've had busy uh springs and summers or early summers and late summers and mm -hmm. I mean, if you had to summarize your your trip to London and Paris in three words. Oh. I'm what terrible would they at brevity. Be? And and one of the words can't be um. How about um and that wasn't part. <laughs> I would just say I love London would, would be my big takeaway. OK, so I'm more interested in the fact that you threw Paris under the bus. So let's talk about this. Well, Michelle I didn't Hicks just throw it under Paris. the bus. Now you're saying in an offline conversation that I wasn't planning on bringing here. I told you that I didn't like Paris. <laughs> well, yes, but, you know, I think that the true success of our partnership in this podcast is being open with That's everyone true. who listens to this. So, um, you know, there are no secrets. Okay. Now I'm, I want to, I want to, I want to poke at this for a second. Paris. Yes. Adorable, charming city or skeevy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but what was it about Paris that, that, that you didn't like? Um, I think it was partially me going into the situation where I dreamed about going to this place my entire life, was thinking it was going to be this really idealistic, picturesque, like the Epcot version of what Paris is. And Paris is a city like any other city, which means that there's stuff like, you know, graffiti and 
the smell of urine and unsavory characters in certain areas. And mm. um, yeah, I think just some of that was a little off-putting to me, but also coupled with the fact that I loved London so much that having the comparison of the two, basically like the day I got to Paris, I was like immediately homesick for London. So luckily I did get one more day in London at the very end of the trip, like our last day, because that's where we flew back from. But yeah, I feel kind of weird talking about it because everyone is in love with Paris. I've never met another person that said that they don't like Paris, but I'm not saying I'm never going to go back there, but not anytime soon. I think this is why you and I get along so well together that you can go to a place that everybody universally loves and you hate it. <laughs> and you're not afraid to tell people that you don't like it. Well, I am afraid to tell people. That is the well, one difference. Well, you just admitted it to, to, to a nation here. I mean. That's true. I'm going so on the a, record. Did right, not Did yeah. not like Paris. And there were certain like, all right, I'm going to really own this. There were certain parts of the trip where we were having a really good time and the weather was beautiful. And I will say this, the people of Paris were all super nice. So that was something that everyone said, Paris people are snotty or whatever. Totally not my experience. But so many points during those five days that we were there that I was just like, can we leave, please? Like, Mm. we're here in Europe for a limited amount of time. I would much rather be in this other place that I know I love so much. Well, it's 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 cool because this episode that we're recording is is all about um, brands and branding and the definition textbook definition of a brand is really how other people perceive your company, your organization. So as it stands on average, London's brand in your book, pretty good, right? Yes. On the other hand, Paris is not so good. Well, it's also funny that you said that because there was a moment during the trip where I started to draft this Instagram post with a picture of Paris and my true thoughts, which in that moment were not so great. And I showed it to Jimmy and he was like, you can't post that. I'm like, why not? He's like, that's not your brand. And he's not even like into all of this stuff, but even he knew enough to say like, you can't be putting negative stuff out there because that's not what you're about. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very true. So like, <laughs> I'm just wait. I just would love to see that. Is this draft saved anywhere? No, or did, did, it's no, just it's, been completely it's, trashed. It's deleted. And I, you know, if I'm being honest, cause this is the platform where I'm probably the most honest, I've done stuff like that before. I've written rancy posts before and you know, a couple have been posted, but there are a lot of things that I'll just sit down and write and feel like I have to get off my chest that never, never go public. Have you ever done anything like that? Like written a post or, or, or sent like I, I have, you should listen the draft, <laughs> the draft, the draft folder. My, my Twitter account is not for anyone else to look at. It's pretty much just like every dark thought. And this is the things that don't get by the gatekeeper that actually find their way to my Twitter account. So, yo, yeah, yeah. And yeah, you yeah, actually yeah. write I, them in Twitter in the drafts. It's not like in like the notes app because that could be dangerous. You could like. Yes, you're right. Know, but just it's, be having a bad moment and that tweet goes out and you can well, never take it back. I mean, you can delete it, but someone could always screenshot it or, you know, do whatever. You'll be there to take a screenshot yep. and remind me of it, I'm yep. sure. But like sometimes situations come back around and the thought that I had or the thoughts that I had are like still somewhat applicable. So mm-hmm. I might 
tweak it here and there to make it sound a little bit less, you know, crude and, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> run with it and, you know, have a nice piece of content. Uh, so yeah, no, it's, I, I have definitely done that before where, um, um, actually that was kind of one of the inspirations for this episode too, was sitting at a meeting and listening to somebody talk about how, you know, they really want to do branding and get their logo out there and just really be good with branding. And I was just like dying inside and being like, it's not branding. Like it is not. Okay. But we're going to get into that in a second. The first mistake is saying, I want to do branding. Yeah, you can't do you, some brand. You can't do branding. Yeah, that really kind of frustrated me. So yeah, there's a there's a a, uh, a draft tweet somewhere that has that that in there. Maybe but I want to I, I want to I might I might we'll see how this episode goes. Maybe it'll be the plug for the episode. Who knows? <laughs> um, but yeah, I really I really want to know what this this Paris post was all about. <laughs> that didn't go out there. <laughs> Baguettes aren't really what they're cracked up to be. <laughs> Oh, all right. If I can say one more thing about something I didn't like about Paris. I I mean, Steve, you know this. I don't know how much the audience knows about this, but like champagne is my favorite adult beverage, alcoholic drink. And, you know, Paris, champagne, you would think that those two would go hands in hand for sure. Yeah. Nowhere. I did not see anyone in any restaurant in the entire city of Paris drinking champagne and the restaurants that I went to, if it was on the menu at all, it was like one small option. Like, I mean, they're all about the wine there, which I also knew was the case. But London, the champagne floweth. It's everywhere. Everyone's drinking it. They're, they're, I was in a couple of places where they're actually like rolling through the restaurant with carts offering people champagne. So the champagne disconnect was also a factor in the, the love of London, not so much Paris. So whose fault is this? Like, is this this isn't Paris's fault, right? I mean, like we're you know, we're we're hating on Paris, but Paris is what it is. I mean, oh, it's good. not you're, pretending I, to be I'm, something. I'm glad it's that you're not. like we're hating on it. You're on board for this. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. Absolutely. I, I love Only a good group hating. Only two people in the world who hate Paris. <laughs> I love a good. I love a good group shaming. Um, no, I I just like I I wonder this now because this this identity. This brand, yes. if you will, for Paris has been crafted over the years. But I mean, you're one person, but it's still it's not like, you know, you're saying like, yeah, I could kind of see it. But it really wasn't you're like this is a pretty blanket. Like this is not at all what we it heard. Was, it, it was a misrepresentation for sure. So maybe it's the way people have described it. I don't know. I mean, obviously, these other people have had better experiences than I have and they saw something that maybe I didn't see but like I said I think it's it's also like on me I, I had this really idealistic picture of what it was going to look like like the champagne and the quaintness and a lot of people talked about you know people just um picnicking along this along the Seine and having like you know cheeses and and drinks and like my experience walking along the sun was it smelling and me being like can we please get out of here <laughs> <laughs> you pictured like the scene from beauty and the beast and it really wasn't yeah like that at yes all. yes i had a was very beauty and the... uh it was in yeah, france was, right? i don't know yeah, that okay. it was in paris per se but i definitely right. had a very disney idea of what paris was going to be which is wrong because any city with a lot of people in it is going to garner a, you know, varied experiences and like a mixed bag just because of the the amount of people that are there. 
you are single-handedly redefining the Paris <laughs> brand with every word that comes out because like the whole thing about the whole thing about a brand, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we might as well just kind of jump yeah. into this. We've had our sillies for the start yes. of the show. Um, a brand isn't really what we tell our audience. Like I can't tell, we can't tell our audience, like this is what the podcast is all about. We can tell people that, yeah. but once it's out there, it's really what they're telling each other or what they're seeing it to be for what it is. And that's the definition of a brand. So, you know, I think what's interesting about this is like, yes, we're joking about your take about Paris on your trip, but how you're kind of communicating this to people moving forward when you hear people are interested in going overseas and going to Paris, like that might really kind of reshape how some people look at it and what they want to do or how much time they want to spend there. Yeah. No, that is really interesting. It doesn't matter what what people tell you because you're going to experience it in your own way based on what you're being exposed to. Um, like you can say something, you can say this is my brand and these are my colors, but if that doesn't align with your actions, then that's not really a brand. Oh, I guess it is a brand, but it's not a strong brand and a strong mm-hmm. identity and something's so, not in alignment. So when you have an interaction with, with a, a company or an organization and you have a, an opinion on, on what it is and then it becomes something that it's not, you know, maybe there's a, uh, here's a good example. Yeah. Um, over the summer, actually before everything happened with, with, um, our house, my wife had ordered these bookshelves from Ikea long amount of hours spent on discussing these bookshelves and which ones we were going to get and narrowing the, you know, we, we got it That's down the to Ikea what we way. That is part of the Ikea brand and experience. I'm sure yeah. anyone listening to this who has had dealings with Ikea had long drawn out conversations and probably a similar process to what you're about to describe. And I was kind of psyching myself up for what this was going to be because like the closest Ikea store is like two hours away from our house. So like, you know, this was a huge day trip and, you know, but everything that went into it, the research and, and what, you know, like everything was easy, going to be easy to put together. And we're going to, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm sold on this. Like, let's do this. So we, we realized at the last minute, like it would probably make more sense if we had everything shipped to our house as mm-hmm. opposed to having it uh, going, taking the two hour trip. So we ordered the stuff and okay. Well, then the flood happened and we were forced out of our house. So we had to cancel the Ikea order. And my wife spent cumulatively two and a half hours over she, the course of like three or four phone calls. Did she have to call Ikea. Sweden? <laughs> you don't like Paris. Let me tell you my <laughs> thoughts on Sweden. Um, she disconnected multiple times and, you know, like and it and it sort of changed how we were looking at this whole process to the point again and we eventually were finally able to cancel the order we're not like running back to reorder them through ikea again like Mm -hmm. that could still happen but i think that whole experience the frustration the disconnecting the you know uh, all of the confusion really kind of soured us on that relationship so like have you had other situations paris aside where you've been confronted with what you thought was what this company or this organization or this person was kind of all about and maybe something else presented itself. And what's that like for a consumer uh, on the other end? Because we're going to see all this, you know, all these ads and all these things for Ikea, but 
what they're telling us what they are and what they do and what we experience are two really different things. And, and if you're not paying attention to this as a, as a consumer or as a, as a company rather, you're kind of lying to your audience. Well, I feel like I kind of have a different perception of what Ikea is and what you're describing to me does not come as a surprise because to me, Ikea is a company where you can get more inexpensive furniture and goods but you're on your own. Like that's that's the price of not paying more. You're not going to have good customer service. You're not going to have clear instructions. In most instances, I think you I know that you can order stuff, but I think for the most most part, people do go to the stores and not only picking out the stuff there, but you actually like have, have you done the whole IKEA experience before like going into the warehouse and like you're actually like picking up the the furniture itself and like putting it on your cart and walking it out like it's all you they're not I feel like their primary promise to you is like we're gonna sell you something that is clean and functional but also inexpensive so like if you're gonna sell something that's a little bit more expensive you have to cut a corner somewhere and maybe cutting a corner is not the right phrase but like by not charging more it means that they've cut back in a, in some area, right? Well, I think if you're analytically looking at it that way, that's fine. But most people aren't like you and me and thinking about it from a business standpoint. <laughs> I think they're thinking about it from a, a a consumer standpoint. So when you're when you aren't given good customer service or where there is a flaw in the process, um, that can really kind of affect how, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, I have a beef with it's spectrum cable now, but when it used to be time <laughs> Warner cable, like I used to get into arguments with the, with the, you know, the, the, the call representatives from time Warner, almost like it was for sport after a while, because, yeah. you know, what you were getting versus what you were paying. And then the process you had to go through when you were going through custom, like nothing added up. Um, and and you wonder why that's something that's just not paid attention to. And that's not something that I think people who work in small businesses, um, I mean, frankly, even large scale businesses, but small businesses can afford to do. I mean, to Jimmy's point earlier, like we have to be conscious of what's true to who we are. So people recognize quite simply who we are when, when, when we show up in a feed or in their inbox or, or wherever. Mm-hmm. So... Based on your experience, are you done with Ikea forever? And like when you go to buy furniture again, will you take customer service into consideration as part of your buying? The funny thing is probably not, not, not the customer service angle. I'm done with Ikea for a variety of reasons that it's two hours away and that, you know, all the, all the frustrations that went into that. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a younger generation thing or not, but like brand loyalty for me is not nearly as high as it as it might have been for like my parents, mm-hmm. specifically my mom. Like we grew up with only having Crest toothpaste, only having Crest toothpaste. So you get in trouble if like a Colgate made it into the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did this get in here? <laughs> like, and brand name stuff. And I'm not talking like expensive. I'm just saying like you know we talked about, you know, my cereals, the last episode, special K, like it was always special K as I've gotten to my age, the brand loyalty isn't really quite there. You know, if I want to buy Colgate, I'll buy Colgate. If I want to get the knockoff, you know, the generic brand of special K, I'll do that. Like it's, 
it's almost as if like what's in it for me and you know i look at it and i go if it's gonna if it's gonna save me time to go up the road to target and buy what i need or walmart to go buy what i need and put that together i'm gonna go do that as opposed to doing this whole ikea process and maybe that's partially just kind of embed, you know, in, in, in who I am, but it's also, I think part of that process. I mean, if everything went smoothly with Ikea, I probably wouldn't have looked elsewhere. Right. But now it's, it's kind of like, it, it was kind of that, that, you know, that, that final nail in the coffin, so to speak. So are there any brands you can think of that you feel like you are loyal to? Um, how about your, well, this probably isn't the best example, but in our last episode, you talked about your jerseys that yeah, you buy. Yeah, that was and- actually the first one that came to mind when you asked, um, is, is, is the Dallas Cowboys. I, I think that's one of the few brands that I'm completely loyal to. They, they haven't won anything, anything remotely important since I was in fifth grade. So, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not results. The thing that gets me about the Cowboys or the Yankees or the Knicks or, or any kind of sports franchise. And I, and I don't know how many guys are like this or, or girls are like this, excuse me, women are like this, but you know, you fall in love with a team, maybe it's a player, but then you fall in love with stories and you fall in love with the history of the team and you fall in love with watching games with, with, with your parents or your dad or, you know, uh, you know, family members and, and listening to stories about the players they watched when they were kids. And, you know, looking at the Cowboys logo is not a. It doesn't remind me of the team that's on the field right now. Certainly, it 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 has an impact, but it reminds me of my love affair with with this organization. They don't really have to, although they do some really great stuff with their communications and marketing and social teams. But they probably wouldn't have to lift a finger to communicate about anything, and I'd be okay with that because my my loyalty wouldn't go anywhere. And this is a team that consistently lets me down as a fan almost see every season. So Yeah. It's a it's, it's int- like a tough relationship. And I think that's that's the whole thing about what we're what we're talking about in this episode is I have a and for better or worse, I have a marriage with with this this professional sports team. I have my good moments with them and my bad moments with them, but I'm very nostalgic for what we've what we've built as as a fan and a team over the years. And I think that's very similar to how we're how we need to be looking at our relationships with our audiences. Right. I mean, if if (laughs) let's put it to you this way. Oh, this is a really bad example, but this is the best thing that I can think of. So Ikea and I were kind of like, you know, we 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 found each other on a on a on a dating app and I swiped. What is it? Right. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know either. I'm messing. I'm I'm messing. We're we're, we're like we're we're post the. uh... Yeah. We met our spouses before the Tinder thing happened. <laughs> I swiped in a direction. I'm going to go right. Whatever the direction is. The one right. the one that says that you're interested. Right. And Ikea and I go out on a date. And Ikea and I uh, go to bed together that night. <laughs> and Explicit Ikea and I warning. A, I, Ikea and I have a bad experience. <laughs> Ikea and I didn't take the opportunity to kind of get to know each other. And I think that's the thing. If we're not getting a chance to know our audience, trying to, to, to grow that relationship, um, we're going to end up having more experiences like I did with Ikea and less like I do with the, with the Dallas Cowboys. Um, it's about relationship building. It's about giving yourself a chance to get married somewhere down the line, but not asking for that right away. Mm-hmm. You know, you saying that makes me think of a couple of friends who... I've spoken to since I've been back from my trip who are 
very pro-Paris. And they didn't just go there once. They've been there multiple times. And they've put more time into that relationship. So maybe that um, that nostalgia factor may come in because they're not just thinking about like, okay, this this one day I went there, or this these few days I went there, but all of these memories I have from all of the times we've been back. So I think that that, especially like when you were talking about the Cowboys, that's what made me think of that, that we have to, with our branding, get people hooked enough to stick around because the stronger bond forms over time, right? Yeah, right. And while it's really what they think ultimately about our brand, whatever that is, I mean, there are steps that can be taken as as a small business owner or entrepreneur, I suppose it's one and the same, to kind of put yourself into a position to grow that relationship with that brand. Now, you're in a unique position as as a small business owner of of having to 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 do this. I mean, you've developed relationships with your audience and and I mean, they've led to kind of some of the relationships that we've developed here jointly with through this podcast. Um, and they're wonderful people, but you've had to take some time to kind of get to know them a little bit and for them to get to know you. So what what's that frustration like? Because I'm sure that's something that we all experience where, you know, we throw that term around branding. We got to do branding. It's all about branding. And and you can't just tell people, hey, go buy this or, hey, like this or, hey, you know, interact with this. That doesn't come organically. That doesn't come right away. This isn't something I was planning on bringing to the table, but because you brought up what is a frustration you're experiencing. I just put this post up a few days ago. Something I feel like I've always struggled with as a creative person is defining what my one thing is that I'm known for um, because there are so many things I'm interested in and so many things I want to do and so many mediums that I want to pursue that anyone who has built a really successful business and all the, the business coaches and the gurus and the people I follow say, you know, you have to pick your lane, pick your niche, your niche, whatever you want to call it. And and stay with. I believe that. in Paris they call it a niche. Yes. Okay. This is going to be our Paris episode. We'll call it a niche. Choose your niche and stay with it because otherwise you are really you're creating brand confusion. You're confu- you're creating message confusion, and if people don't know what you stand for, they can't look to you as as an expert or a person or of authority. So this has been something I've really been struggling with um, because I have. I've done different things in my business and in my career. And when I first started, I was doing a lot of um, printable designs and a lot of people still see me as like the printable person, but in my mind, like that's not me anymore. That's not what I want to be working on. That's not what I want to be associated with. So it's hard. Yeah, I would say that that is my biggest frustration is having to pick the one thing, but I feel like the only thing that has kind of saved me and has carried me through these different stages of my business is is really like my heart and my what I feel like is like my personal mission and that is to bring motivation and inspiration to other people to help them live a life that makes them truly happy on their own terms. And whether I've been selling printable designs or uh, marketing an email course or you know something else that I may be pursuing soon all of those have that one constant in common. So I would say that at least I can say that is a brand that I have established for myself. But 
it's not even I've established it like with all this thought I mean, that that's just me. That's my personality, business or personal. That's our challenge, right? I mean, it's it's what's your it kind of goes back to, to goal setting is what's your goal? What do you want to accomplish? You know, why are you doing what it is that you're doing? Because once you're able to answer that that question, you can kind of assume that that role. And I think that becomes your 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 public persona. In this case, if you're looking to have people feel lead more fulfilling lives and the way to help them do that in a variety of ways or one way is to create, you know, awesome print pieces that they're going to eventually hang or they're, they're going to have displayed somewhere. I mean, that's a part of that fulfillment process. How about you? Do you feel like you struggled with this? Whether it's been like with the podcast or just in your work work? Um, yeah, um, I, I think it is. You know, early on, I, I, I we had a post up on, on the podcast for Creatives account on Instagram a couple weeks ago. And I, I talked a little bit about how I knew uh, or, or when I finally figured out and it was really kind of giving back to people um, and making them feel good. Um, and once I did that, you started seeing that the investment early on in my career, um, especially when I when I first got into social, um, I was more concerned with being kind of the being seen as somebody who knows what he's talking about. Um, so I put much more emphasis on tactics and, um, you know, being, being the person who was able to, um, tell you what to do as opposed to kind of the why and what we're getting at here. Um, so when it finally clicked, um, for me, when it, when, when I realized the kind of content that I was creating when it was serving the audience as opposed to talking to the audience when it was meant to give them something to feel good about. I kind of carried that over into the way I social media and the way I give talks about social media or presentations or, you know, whatever it's to talk about the why it's to talk about the benefit. It's, it's, you know, the first time it clicked in a, in a, in a, in a, group setting in a presentation setting, I remember asking this, this audience, when you logged, when you went onto Facebook this morning, can you tell me, you know, the, the, something that you liked or commented on or in or, or engaged with on social this morning? And one person would say, oh, it was a, it was a picture of, of a dog. And like, oh, it was, it was a video of my, my, my nephew. Oh, it was all of these things had a common thread to them. And the common thread was emotion. And I remember saying to them, like looking around the room and saying, it doesn't matter what it is. The mm -hmm. common thread is emotion. And you watched all these heads start to go like this. And I think that's when it clicked that like my brand when it comes to talking about social media is to is to be an emotional, empathetic communicator and and and, and get people to understand that we all really are looking for the same thing. And we all respond to the same thing. What that is and how that's structured, we can talk about that all we want. But if we can, if we can agree on the same goal, um, which is, I think, pretty simple to do, um, we can really start to build this a little bit. So I went from tactics to more, I would say, more of a goal, you know, holistic look at mm -hmm. that social. I love that. And I feel like that definitely shows through. I mean, in, in working with you, I feel like everything that 
any piece of content that we put together that that comes through greatly takes a while and i think that's that's part of being authentic um you know there there's a lot of copycat people out there or you know you know we think if we can just say something funny or the way we present the conversation can make somebody laugh but if the content and the emphasis of what you're writing doesn't match that it's it doesn't seem authentic it's not relatable it doesn't mm-hmm. have that that true connection and ultimately people start to keep scrolling it's not something that they're going to want to stop and interact with and that's part of the challenge i think you're always trying to get at the why why is your company you know getting at the why of your company the why of who you are as a person once you're able to answer that um the rest starts to kind of come easy because then you're just being true to who you are but that's that's also part of the challenge is it's one thing to be able to say like this is who i am but then being brave enough to actually follow through and consistently put that out there because i've been in that position before where i've said like yes i just want to motivate and inspire people but especially in my early days of building my business i would see someone doing something completely different in a completely different way and tone that wasn't necessarily my natural inclination but i would see oh they're getting all these likes so i should do what they're doing and i think that's probably like the hugest mistake that you can make when you're first starting is seeing other people's success and trying to just like straight up emulate that. Like, I do think it's good to have people that, that you model, but you have to like stay true to yourself throughout all of it or stay true to something. Even if, you know, even if you change course the way I've changed course in my business, having that, like that constant thing that carries from, from thing to thing that you do. Um, I was trying to think of like advice that I would give someone to try to summarize creating a good brand. And the reason, Steve, that I told you earlier that I was going back to one of our old episodes where we were talking about our strengths finder results, one of mine was characterization. And is that was that also one that was yours? Because I know that we had one or two that were in common. Uh, Relator, I think, was the one we had in common. Okay, so characterization, to remind you guys, is basically trying to paint people as as characters to find their strengths. Um, In my in my personal relationships, my building and my business relationships, I really I like to get to know people as I may be calling this the wrong thing. Is it maybe individualization? Is what, oh, it, is, is, what yeah. it, is what it actually is. And I'm calling it characterization because that's probably the best definition of it. It is defining people as characters, the good and the bad. And I really like to know the ins and outs of, of all types of people. But I was thinking about how well that aligns with creating a brand. I mean, this could just be because I watch a lot of TV, but the way that I look at a good solid brand is a is a character. It encompasses what you stand for, your style, your you know, your promise to the customer or to the audience. Like when you think about your favorite characters from TV, you can sum them up in in a few words, like definitively. I mean, that's what makes a really good TV character is you feel like you know them and you understand them. And I think that the really good brands follow that exact same framework. It's to have another person be able to say like, oh, Target, yes, like Target is recognizable. I know their colors. I know how I'm going to feel when I go in the store. I know what they stand for, just like you could say about a TV or movie character. 
Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. I always say that that people don't care what you do. They care why. And that is, I, I think, integral to your your development of, of a brand is it's always the why. And, I you know, and whether even if take your you take your your TV character example, like somebody can be a certain way, but if they don't embody that and everything that they do. Um, you don't really necessarily, you know, relate to that. I feel like that's why our, our, our bond over, you know, shows like the office and Seinfeld are so strong because, you know, it's not like George is, people just say George is neurotic. Like he embodies that and everything that he does. It's not that Jim Halpert is just sarcastic. He shows that in every, almost everything that he does, even though he's got a, a more of a sentimental side too. So, you know, it's, it's very true. I, I like that comparison. And I think it's also that people feel safe and secure when they know what to expect from you. And that's why companies with strong brands succeed, because people don't have to like stress or worry that they don't know what's coming. It's almost like it's an old friend. It's it's someone that you're really comfortable with. Um, right. But I was also thinking about the fact, you know, when characters may skew or when you feel like, you know, you want to do something a little different um, in your brands, like... Your brand should be so strong that if you're going to do something like that, it should be like completely over the top. So I feel like in TV, this is a a writing convention that if someone does something that's completely out of character, it is so obvious to the point where it is hilarious for us as the audience. Yeah. Like, did you have you ever had something like that in your in, in, in your brand where you've you know, you've tried something? Or you've you've attempted to do something and and it might have been out of the core of what you were doing, but um, I don't think that this is um, answering your question. But I do feel like something else popped in my mind that is kind of along the same lines. And I would say this is something that I've talked about in my in my business brand before. I think that most people know this about me, but also this is probably like part of my personal brand that I'm really not outdoorsy at like at all. And I'm not like athletic. I don't like doing stuff like, you know, like hikes and canoeing and stuff like that. So in, I've probably done this a few times before, just in my past on social media, like anytime I post a picture of myself doing something like outdoorsy, you know, I will make a very funny comment about it. And then I'll get all these people saying like, Oh my goodness, Michelle is, you know, she's on a hike today. Like, what are you thinking? Like people know, people will know that about me because I've established myself as, this person who does not do things like this. Yeah, that's true. I've never really seen you actually do any <laughs> physical activity now that I think about it. <laughs> so you're not going to be on the podcast for creative softball team next spring? No, you saying? guys would kick me off in two seconds. <laughs> well, there's only two people on this team right now, so it doesn't, doesn't really build well. it's well. going to be a one-man team. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, just playing <laughs> play every position by myself. Well, you have like 12 sisters, right? I mean, like we could, we could probably feel yeah. like, you know, no, they're, they're a fairly all, competitive team. They're all athletic. They, they'll go okay. in my stead. Nice. The concept of branding is simple, right? You know, telling, you know, telling your story in innovative ways. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It takes a little creativity, but the concept itself is simple, but that doesn't always mean that that's, that's the case. You know, there's, there's an art, I think, to discovering the purpose and the passion that is what you are. That's the thing that kind of, when we talk about school districts and obviously we talk about schools a lot on, on our podcast, um, that's the thing that I'm always kind of beating the drum on with, with 
people I work with is the vision that I want people to have of the school that I work in, that vision should be the same vision that they see when, when, when they're reacting to a piece of content. It should be the same thing. The feeling that I want them to have should be the feeling that they're, that they're having every time they see a piece of content. It should match. If I want them to feel good about sending their kids, I mean, schools have the two biggest commodities of, of parents, right? The two, big, the two things that matter most to parents, their children and their money, mm-hmm. right? Their taxes. So you kind of have to deliver. It's inherent that you're being good stewards, not just of the taxpayer dollars, but of the trust. So giving back to that community by showing all the good and making them feel good about that trust, that relationship, that commitment. I mean, it seems so simple, but yet sometimes that's a really challenging thing because that's the mistake that I feel like a lot of educators make is we want people to think this way about what we do. Well, too late. They already think a certain way about you. Do you know what that is? And does it match what you want them to think? Um, you know, so I'm aware of that, you know, and, and if I want them to feel a certain way, the content has to kind of match that, that, that feeling sometimes like, for instance, this is a, this is a good example. We were working in a district that had a bullying issue and it was a really controversial issue. Well, the superintendent posed the idea, well, hey, we have some really cool like, you know, anti-bullying things that are coming up next week. Let's get some coverage up on on social media and tell parents what, you know, what's going on. And the first thought I had was right now your parents have a problem with bullying in this district. The last thing they're going to want to see as social content is a bunch of stuff that's telling them, hey, we're doing all this anti-bullying stuff in the di-. like it's going to lead to a, co- a, a a war of words in the comment section like that's not what they think. So whatever they're thinking, you got to be aware of that. And that's got to help kind of drive at least, you know, the content that you're creating or or you need to be able to be educated by by those sentiments and help you kind of you know, formulate your content strategy moving forward. So if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, wow, I really, I don't have a strong brands and I'm, I'm inconsistent and I'm sharing mixed messages. What would be your advice to them? Like, how do you clean up a mess, either a mess or how do you take something that is so inconsistent and weak and make it stronger? And I know that we've kind of like just spent this whole episode, but if it's in summary, I think it's partly um, going back to that relationship uh, example that we talked about before. You know, I can't just walk into a room and and say to somebody, marry me. It doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to provide something to that person as they have to do to you. But, you know, you need to kind of provide something to them. So if that's empathy, if that's love, if that's happiness or joy or whatever it is, if you're able to provide that to them through your content, through your relationship, that relatable voice, that authentic voice, the building of the brand, which is ultimately, you know, that relationship, that's going to come over time. Um, You can't just jump into it and focus on making the profit, making the sale. There's a giving period that I think that exists in in this development. So I think if you're finding that's your brand and I think we see the benefit of comparing 
a brand to a relationship because what you think about your relationship is really important. You know, how you and your partner are, are, are working together and how you see each other and where you're going and, you know, do, does it still fit into, you know, uh, what, what you want for your life? All these things I think factor into it and it doesn't work unless you're working at it constantly. Um, and that's just providing something to people that they need, that they want. Um, and if that's there more often than not, the sale kind of comes as you go. Mm -hmm. I also just wanted to interject. I feel like when you were, you were using a lot of really positive, um, words before saying like evoking feelings of joy and happiness. And that's me. And like, I think that's you a lot of the time too. And that's a lot of times, a lot of people, but I think I've also seen successful businesses built on stuff like sarcasm and um, I guess empathy would would play in with this too. But, you know, sometimes people are going through bad stuff. And if you're really good at talking about that, like that can be a brand too. It doesn't always have to be something that's like shiny and pretty and happy, although that's what I prefer. <laughs> and that's fine. I mean, that's London for you, right? Yes. And that's, that's what they're known for. If you want to be Paris, go ahead and be Paris. Yes. There is an <laughs> audience for you. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I remember, uh, you know, I, I remember building, I look back on this moment that I'm going to tell you about in a second with, with regret, not because of, well, let me, I'll explain it to you and then I'll tell you why. Okay. Uh, maybe about, ooh, what, what is this, 2018? So maybe about six years ago now. So it'll be six years ago in December. Um, there was a, um, a car accident that, that took the lives of a couple of students uh, who were uh, students in, di in, the, in the district that I, I worked in. I think you've in. talked about this I might before. have I might have discussed this before. Um, basically, a very, very traumatic moment for both school communities. It involved two schools up here in the area. And we, I, used uh, social media to kind of um, showcase a lot of what the students were doing after the, um, the, those students passed away to kind of support each other, both districts, the families. And while there were some issues off of that, and it almost was like a competitive thing, if I posted one thing and they, and the other district's family and the other district was doing something else and we weren't doing that in my school district, there was kind of sometimes some questions from parents about like, Hey, they're doing this. Why aren't you doing that? Like it, that, that's the part that kind of got out of control. Um, but the part that I was and I still some I still am proud of is we took a really, really traumatic, sad situation and showed how school communities, two rival school communities are kind of coming together um, and and doing things to support each other, those students and those students, families um, who lost loved ones. And I remember we did at the end of the week uh, that this this happened on a Saturday night, early Sunday morning after the week was over with, after the, the, the services were, were complete, uh, a local TV station called me, you know, Hey, we just kind of come over and, you know, talk with the superintendent just about like, you know, what this week was like and, you know, how to move, how they're going to move forward. And, and, and I wasn't keen on the idea. I just didn't think there was really a story there anymore. You don't really want to, I don't really like having my, my district's name out there on the back of students who were, were killed in, in, a, in an accident. Um, but I brought it to the superintendent and, and he says, yeah, you know, bring him in. It's fine. So we had this, the, the, uh, TV station come in and one of the questions that the reporter asked was, how do you, 
you know, how do you rationalize or how do you explain, you know, how these communities have sort of come together, you know, around this issue and, and how social was so powerful. And, you know, he said something that was kind of profound where he's like, you know, years past, you know, before social media, if something like this would have happened in a school community, you know, you go to your cert, you go to the services, people come back and go into living in the living rooms and houses. And you kind of talk about, you know, the memories and the sad moments and the happy moments. And now we're able to do this through social media and people are able to kind of have this grieving session to bond. So, you know, to your point, and I'm not saying it's always, you know, don't, you know, don't look for examples like this, but, you know, emotion is really what kind of drives that, that connection, that honesty, that openness, that, that we use the word relatable things that people can identify with easily. You know, I think that's kind of what has made our, our podcast, even though I think we're still admittedly building things. It's a relatable topic for a lot of people who listen with things that we talk about and that we're going through are relatable. That means something. And you can only stand to kind of benefit as a, as a brand if that's what you're kind of building yourself on is strong, relatable, emotional concept that's authentic. Sorry. No, that was really good. I just, like a text message like popped up just as you were like finishing that. So I like, whatever I was going to say is, is gone. It's gone. <laughs> right. It's good to see you saying on brand. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, help us spread the word on social media. Tag us at pod for creatives and let us know which stood out to you. Do you want to? You want to tee it up? I uh, got it in first. <laughs> no, I feel like you should. I feel like I always start it. Do you? Yeah. I mean, well, I don't. Not, ha- I don't have like a like not statistics. The topic. You're usually just like you know asking like, so how's it going? You know, and then we kind of just go from there. So I have to say, hey, how's it going? No, it's fine. I can say, hey, how's it going? And then what's gonna happen after I say fine? <laughs> you. Go- <laughs> <laughs>